May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning to you all. And a good morning to all of you watching online and a happy Independence Day to all of you. I wanted to start our sermon off this morning by asking you, have you ever been to a high school reunion? So it looks like most of you are the age where you probably have been. Uh, some of you not yet, but you probably know the little game that happens at high school reunions. At first, you probably go and see those people that were the closest to you. And of course, it's all hugs and maybe I haven't seen you in 10 years. And you just talk about how life has been, the ups and downs and all of that. And then after you kind of see that, maybe that closer group of friends that you had, then you kind of go on to those that were peers or that maybe you had a little rivalry with. And so it then comes the conversation, well, what have you been doing with your life? And and there seems to be kind of a trying to one up the other one um, at different parts of a high school reunion. So I got to tell you, at my 10 year high school reunion, I had just that. After all the hugs and seeing the really close people, I went on to to another little group that had within it uh, one of those guys that I, for whatever reason, we always just kind of did this. You know, we respected one another, but we, we were always kind of poking and jabbing at each other. And so that time would come and we had that conversation. Well, what have, what have you been doing with the last 10 years since we graduated? And one of the people said, well, I'm a lawyer and I got married, another a doctor and a coach and a teacher. And then it got to me and proudly I said, well, I've been a youth pastor and I'm having a good time doing it. And this guy I have that that relationship rivalry with, he said, well, maybe one day you'll get a real job and uh, stop just playing with kids as your job. So put a period there and we fast forward 10 more years to the 20-year high school reunion. And I kind of have that thought in the back of my head. I don't know if I'll see that guy again, but surely 10 years later, he forgot that comment that he made, even though I held on to it a little bit. And so sure enough, we get to that point in the night and I'm talking to that guy and a little group of people. And he, he, he brings it up first thing. And he, you know, some of the conversations there were, you know, I, I'm no longer a doctor, but I'm now doing this, or I've even been divorced and all these other things I've had, we've had kids and this is how many we have. He turns to me and he says, well, are you done playing with kids and have you gotten a real job? Here it is 10 years later. And I said, well, well, yeah, I actually am no longer a youth pastor, but now I'm ordained and I am a priest in the Episcopal Church. And you should have seen the jaws drop, like, you know, the quiet, awkward moment because they knew who I who I was in high school. And they, they knew the reputation of kind of a class clown and partying a little too much, uh, things that high schoolers used to do. And it just could not compute in their minds that, well, maybe he could be a youth pastor for a while, but no way a priest. Have you ever encountered this type of thing in your spiritual life? Perhaps at a high school reunion or even worse yet, in a close group of friends or even your family. 
your own blood to where you have had a life change and you are now walking with God in relationship with him. And you are living this life of faith. But when you tell it to somebody, and especially in those kind of situations, have you ever been met with skepticism? Or I knew who you were a long time ago and there is no way that you could have that kind of life transformation change. It's just not possible. But if you have experienced it, take comfort. Because as you have heard in the sixth chapter of Mark, in the snippet of we have, Jesus experiences that very thing. Now, if we're tracking through Mark across a lot of these Sundays, and we've been there, and today we arrive in Mark 6, and just consider where we have been, because contextually, I think it sets up the story even more powerfully for us this morning, and what what the lesson is out of it. Jesus, a few Sundays ago, he's out in the, the region of Nazareth, and he's on the out the outskirts, and he's not in his hometown yet, but he's been doing these amazing things and teaching these amazing lessons. Just a couple weeks ago, he exercised some demons. And then just in this past week, if you remember last week's gospel, Jesus actually, a man named Jairus came to him and said, my daughter is sick. And even before he went to see this sick daughter that was on her deathbed, he healed a woman who had been battling what we hear is hemorrhages all of her life. And she has exhausted all of her resources, been to doctor after physician after physician to no avail. And we heard the story that Jesus is passing by in the crowd and she reaches out in faith and touches his garment and she is healed instantly. As if that's not enough, this Jairus that had come to Jesus has said, my daughter's dying. Can you please come and tend to her and heal her if if you see fit? And Jesus, being distracted by this whole uh, healing the woman in the crowd by the touch, he doesn't make it in time. And the little girl's daughter passes away. But we hear Jesus tell Jairus, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Go and see. And he actually raises a girl from the dead. These are the types of things that, that uh, Jesus, his name is spreading across the countryside and he's gaining a reputation for doing such things. And then he goes home. He gets to Nazareth and you would think that they would meet him with that same, oh, we heard and your name is preceding you even before you arrived. As he's in his hometown, as our gospel reads today in the text, he goes into the synagogue. In Nazareth. And there he is actually handed, and we have to borrow from some of the Luke account of this, but he is handed the text of Isaiah. And he unrolls that scroll and he is teaching from the scroll of Isaiah, in which it read uh, that, that the power of the Spirit would fall upon the Messiah, and that person would be able to spread the gospel to the poor and to the captives and in all of these things, hinting in that one day the true Messiah would come on the scene. And as he rolls that scroll up, as they do, he could have said, as we do over here, the word of the Lord, and they just move to the next part of their service. But instead, Jesus says, What you have just heard read today has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what Jesus just said is the one we just read about, that promised Messiah, I am he. 
as the people hear this, they are amazed at first. Where does he get this wisdom? And how does he come? Where does how does he do these things that he has been doing with his hands? And then we hear that that astonishment and amazement soon turns to skepticism. As they say, it's his family. We hear it's his four brothers and that he had a plural number of sisters, but we don't know exactly by the text today how many that was. We hear that those that were closest to Jesus growing up, they probably knew him better than we could ever know him in his life as a human. They are saying, there's no way. Isn't this the son of of the carpenter? And and he's just one of the, the working class. How does he know how to teach us? And then he's saying he's the Messiah. I think he's going a little crazy is what they start telling each other. Jesus is met with unbelief. And I find this both amazing in one sense and dumbfounded in another sense to where we hear Jesus has been doing all these miracles and all of these things. And when he comes to his hometown, he is met with an unbelief. And it is such an unbelief from those that know him and love him so much that it says only he could only heal uh, a few people instead of doing everything that he might have wanted to do. We actually see a moment where Jesus, and it says either marvels or is astounded at the un- unbelief that meets him. Now, what are we supposed to do with a story like this? Jesus met with such unbelief was only able to do a few things. Now, unbelief, we need to consider it. Because I believe, in, at least in my life, that I have been in those seasons of unbelief and disbelief and doubt to where I even question the life of faith and to where, to, to where my faith might even, I might be in a desert place or it might seem like it's gone for a season of time. You see, it's a battle for all of us to bat unbelief and disbelief in different seasons of our life. Perhaps even this morning, you might have entered in one of those desert seasons to where unbelief, you might be battling and struggling and praying into it, even as you got here this morning. And then we know you probably have in your mind, just as with the family of Jesus, you might have someone that is very close to you, that is claiming and walking under that banner of unbelief that is that can be part of the brokenness of our world. And you may continue to just pray on your knees that one day that person that I know and love would know God in the way that God meant us all to be in relationship with him. You probably have someone in your mind that you know and have been praying for maybe for a week or two or for several seasons and and years of life. Well, as we look at unbelief, it can be a heavy weight upon all of our shoulders. Rather, we battle it in person, as I know we will across different seasons of our life, or as we watch someone else live into seasons of unbelief and continue to battle it. It is a heavy weight that can be heartbreaking and that can rip families apart. And it can also be contagious. And without what we hear in the rest of the gospel, we're stuck But praise God, we have the answer. 
which comes into those hard seasons of unbelief. We hear as the gospel continues that Jesus, he continued, instead of being distraught by what he met in that unbelief, he just continues little by little in unfolding the cosmic gospel plan in which he had to come. He lived a life and modeled and taught us how to be followers of his. And then to win the ultimate victory against that deep and heavy weight of unbelief, he died and he rose again. And by his grace, we are given the gift of being able to walk in faith. And we see what happens. He ends up, this is a turning with a, a, like an independence moment, as we are reminded of our, of our independence today. The church takes a gigantic leap forward in the face of this unbelief. The 12 disciples end up becoming the 12 apostles. Right here in our reading, as we remember this morning, disciple means learner. And they have been going around and experiencing and learning by watching what Jesus was doing and hearing his teachings. And all of a sudden, Jesus gives the disciples two by two. Apostle means that they are sent out. And as Jesus experiences this unbelief, he gives them the keys to the kingdom and they head out two by two to begin by the power of God to do what Jesus has been doing. And what was that? They took the very gospel message. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all that believe in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. We hear that they are entrusted with that message and sent out two by two to go outside of Nazareth to begin to proclaim it and live into it. The message of the gospel of repentance and they began to do the works that Jesus could do by the power and grace of God. We see the answer is in why Jesus had to come why Jesus had to die and why he had to win the ultimate victory in rising again in such unbelief that we would be stuck in, but he gives us the hand and the way out. It is only in his power that these seasons of unbelief in our life and then in those of the ones that we love that we can be taken out of these seasons of unbelief. I'm thankful that in, in this story, as well as all of scripture, that that we see the great gift of faith to us all by the grace of God, which allows us to combat the seasons of unbelief that we will all go through in this broken world. But all praise, honor, and glory be to our Lord and Savior who beat it back and won the victory against it for us all. Amen.